You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome. This is Detailing Addiction with Dr. Susan Blank, and you're listening to America's Web Radio. Today in studio with me, I have David Donaldson and Michael Daly from the Atlanta Healing Center. Hi, guys. Hello. Hi, Susan. We are all here. It's a good day. And we have a hodgepodge of things to talk about today. We have a real hodgepodge, and some of them are going to be linked and some of them not, but we're going to have fun anyway. Because we're going to start out with the geriatrics. (laughs) (laughs) So all of you elderly listeners, myself included, um, we're going to talk a little bit about you starting out. Most of our... Um, shows often focus on young. adolescents, young adults. We're gonna we're gonna start out by honoring our elderly today, and talk about elderly use of marijuana. Could you define elderly? Well, I think the official diagnosis <laughs> of elderly comes when you turn sixty-five, regardless of how you look, regardless of how you feel, regardless of your mobility. Officially, at the age of 65, medically, we consider you elderly. So, so you are now eligible. sending me all kinds of notices at 55 needs to just be banned. Needs to just be banned. They're just hurting your feelings. <laughs> and that talk of 65 is the new 45? Uh, Rude. <laughs> I think the real talk is at 65, now your no- life is no longer worth saving. <laughs> and so <laughs> we began to see the rationing of med- medical care. Which is kind of interesting when it comes to what we're talking about with, with elderly and the use of marijuana. Right. Um, I would have thought, just thinking about it, in the states where medical marijuana is now legal, that that would have been one of the big populations jumping on the bandwagon with mm-hmm. going to their doctors and getting their prescription cards and going out and and getting some legitimate marijuana. Not the case. Not the case. In fact, a study at the University of Colorado uh, revealed that while many elderly, older adults um, over the age of 65 are interested and thinking about it and wondering about particularly the use of CBD and the medical marijuana, they're quite reluctant to talk to their doctors about it. They're reluctant to go and apply for a marijuana card and they're reluctant to go ask at shops and dispensaries about using it in a medical way, which I find really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, th- some of the things that they talked about in terms of, of the discomfort of bringing up the subject about doctors that work with the elderly not being particularly informed about uses of, of the marijuana mm-hmm. as being some of the explanations. But what seemed really interesting to me was that they are still using it quite a bit, but they are sticking with recreational. Right. Even where it's still illegal, they're still they're sticking with recreational. Well, and it's interesting that, that when you talk to them, they're still getting it through basically a family member right. that's connected or uh, some... Our friend. Or friend connection. It's not, I mean, and and that's the only person they deal with. 
Right. They're not going to the dispensary. Mm-mm. They're even in the states where it is legal <laughs> recreationally, they're still they're doing it the old fashioned way. Exactly. And I think it's interesting because in reflecting, and there's another um, article from the um, Journal of Gerontology that we'll talk about in a second, but I think it's really interesting that if you really look at this demographic, folks who are in the baby boomer generation, these are the old folks who used to smoke a lot of pot. Right. And when we think about the the periods of time throughout US history, we think there have been some episodes of really significant recreational marijuana use. Well, and drug use in general. Right. I mean, during the 60s, you know, the the group that we have now are the ones that were experimenting with hallucinogens and and marijuana and good old recipes for cooking with it and (laughs) (laughs) Uh, the brownies the spaghetti sauce using the old timey um, cultivated somebody grew it harvested yep and and so this um, their means of procurement in the past was they knew somebody or they had a guy or there was a friend or they were growing it themselves. So that that is the delivery method, if you will, that they're used to using and they're used to smoking it. Mm-hmm. So so this is not going very far afield from their previous experience. It's not as though grandma and grandpa have just suddenly discovered pot. No, they may be rediscovering. They may have had a long period of time in their life where they did not use it or used it more limitedly. But this is this is back to the good old days of um, how they used to get it, use it, smoke it, and um, and they're not going through the new, more legal channels that many of our younger people and our adults, not older adults, but our adults are now, you know, pursuing pursuing going through getting a marijuana card or going to states that provide it recreationally. They're going in having these lengthy discussions with the the equivalent of a barista. What do we call? <laughs> a, a bud tender. A bud tender. Thank you, Michael. Um, a bud tender about the advantages, disadvantages, things to expect, um, ways in which to use it. They're they're doing it the good old fashioned way. So I I, I think that that's um, telling, and we tend to do the things that we're familiar with. Right. No matter how long it's been. No matter. It's like riding that bicycle. You will figure out. Now, this article coming out of the University of Florida uh, in the um, Journal of uh, Gerontology and Geriatric Medicine was um, also looking at this same uh, group of people, but in a slightly different way. So they were showing that the largest growing group of people using marijuana these days is the older, the 50 and older, and that the largest, largest group of all is those that are over the 65. <laughs> um, the pr- 
primarily, the people using it primarily are males, males who are unmarried, males who often have multiple chronic diseases, though they're not necessarily using it for, in the medical marijuana sense, that other people might be using it. Folks that have a lot of psychological stress and that also are using other substances like tobacco, nicotine, maybe opioids, chronic pain medications. So this is really interesting. Um, They said while men are using more, women are the fastest group catching up. Mm-hmm. So women in this age group. So Well, I think I think from our experience with I guess geriatric use, um it's been mostly women. Yes. that we see. Um and that we hear about. Now, I don't know if men just cover it better, but but a lot of the older women will talk about smoking pot. Mhm. And it always shocks me. It, it's <laughs> in a surprising and, and interesting sort of way, right? You know, just kind of thinking off the cuff about some of the reasons that might be going on. Um, it seems to me like we have a bigger population of older adults who aren't feeling the necessity to remarry, right? And so having a lot more single males, mm-hmm. um, and and with the changing in drinking behaviors mm-hmm. that there is there is this perception that marijuana use is a safer right um, alternative and that um, information has certainly changed the minds and hearts of people so we're seeing folks who may have used it in their teens in their 20s maybe their 30s then they set, settle down I'm using air quotes for those of you who are listening um, settle down have a family raise their kids have a career now that they're retired they're revisiting it again in in growing numbers and that they may be using it to modulate mood and stress much as they probably did in their teens and 20s but they're also um, using it recreationally and not just for medical purposes. Well, and it's really interesting when you talk to the, the folks that that fall in that category. Right. When they talk to you about the difference in marijuana today than what they had in the early 70s, it's remarkable. The potency? The potency mm-hmm. and the different... Uh, effect that it has on on them it's it's really interesting to hear that and it's also something to bear in mind in the sense that the ones that we have known that have come to our center and we've actually done um eegs and brain maps on to to be able to talk to them about the impact um you certainly do see cognitive impairment that is connected to their use of the the thc and the cbd oil um in terms of memory in terms of um recall Short-term recall. Concentration. Concentration. Problem solving. We, um, we do have some very interesting um, perspective on this, and we will share that with you listeners when we come back. So please stay tuned. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, 
but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is Ron Camacho, host of the Business Hour, on Fridays from 10 to 11 a.m. Join me as I talk with passionate professionals on a program that profiles the best businesses, business professionals, business practices, and fascinating individuals to get an insider view of how America works, 10 to 11 a.m. on America's Web Radio. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, You probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Okay, uh, I'm going to take this opportunity to tell everyone that uh, America's Web Radio is taking, we're putting our money where our mouth is, so to speak, in our support of veterans. And if you're a veteran and you've started a business within the last 12 months or about to start a business, just send us some information, General Manager, GM, at America's Web Radio, and we'll give you two free weeks of advertising on one of, if not the largest, producing podcast radio stations in the country. It will not only go throughout the United States, it will be heard around the world, and uh, we might even throw one of the spots into your show, Susan, if you don't mind. Awesome. So we're we're supporting our veterans, and we'd like for you to tell your buddies, if they've started a business, just to contact us at America's Web Radio, General Manager, and we'll work out the details. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. With supporting our veterans. David was just commenting um, about the um, the spot that you just did, David. We've got so many Davids going on, um, <laughs> but very um, interesting. I, you can say good-looking David. <laughs> and, and know which one we're talking and about. And make sure you're looking in the right direction. <laughs> Whichever way that is. Mature. Right, whatever. <laughs> I was just saying I think that's really great that y'all are doing that and, and having an opportunity to help, to help support our veterans as they're, they're um, reentering society and, getting, and putting their lives in a new focus. 
Thank you. Very good. So please, please do contact uh, or share the news if you know of other veterans um, that may not be listening to this show. Please let people know, and we'll be happy to share it at our family night and on our website uh, as well to have people get in touch and take advantage of this opportunity. Right before the break, we were talking about, uh, speaking of which David is the older David, and I'm not going to say, but uh, we have two Davids, and uh, one of them is a little slightly older than the other. Anyway, we're talking about the older adults and their use of marijuana. To our experience, we have had a number of, uh, and Michael, you pointed this out well, females often in treatment for alcohol, coming off of alcohol and then, I guess in an effort to revisit their youth, have picked up the use of marijuana. The interesting thing is that we do neurocognitive testing as well as quantitative EEG. Uh, The neurocognitive testing looks at the person's reaction time, their ability to remember things, how they make decisions, how they problem solve. The EEG looks at their brain in real time to tell us how the brain is operating, how efficient it is, how effective it is, areas that may be overperforming, underperforming, working at the wrong time. Mm-hmm. So we have quite a bit of data before they started using marijuana and then after. And it's really been interesting to see the dramatic effect that it has. Interesting and shocking because when you look at the difference in the testing results, the amount of change that happens in a very, very short time is remarkable. And it it when when you're working in the field, you know it, but to actually see it and to see it in black and white and sometimes color um, <laughs> In the reports that we get, it's it just really makes it so real. You know, in um, in the world of Alcoholics Anonymous and in the recovery world, there's often been people who who quit drinking and then they've gone on the quote quote marijuana maintenance plan. So people stopping drinking and then deciding, okay, I'll be okay with just smoking a little pot, has long been a part of the picture and in many places when that happens they're just kind of politely told you're in relapse and don't come back Um, that's not really our approach we want them to learn from what's going on and how it's impacting them so we're able to show them Mm -hmm. the results and let them see hey you know you had this amount of time clean and your brain was really responding and waking up in the areas that were too slow or beginning to really fire the way they should and you've since added marijuana back into your system and and take a look at, at how it's beginning to to impact the work you've been doing. So it's actually been pretty powerful. Well, and what's really interesting in, in looking at some of the urine drug screens also, when when you see the the THC number, the number that once they've started using and watch it climb and then they decide to to uh, give it up again, how slowly it declines. It declines. The number stays in their system for for much longer than you would expect, and it, I think that that's um, kind of telling also that that 
you know, when when somebody's using marijuana, it's it's a long term effect on on their body. It is a very long term effect, and one of the um, other articles that we we looked at was um, the number of people who are driving. Wasn't that an interesting study? Yes. The number of people driving under the influence of marijuana. Well, I back up, back up. The number of people driving who had marijuana in their system. And part of our difficulty is this, how, how do we, um, how do we determine? Regulate or. And how do we determine impairment? Right. Because of just your point, Michael, which is that marijuana stays in your system for a much longer time than alcohol. We know how alcohol gets in, gets out, we're done. But marijuana, because it is bound to the fat tissues and because our brain is mostly fat, it's in there for a long time. So this was an interesting study. And it was so interesting the way they did this. They they basically set up roadblocks or asked people at traffic lights, hey, would you be willing to um, do this questionnaire and and do a a breathalyzer and a sample? No risk of prosecution, no risk of arrest. We're just doing a study. They did it in daytime and they did it in evening hours. Just random people who, who said, yes, I'm willing to do that. And in the midst of that, they didn't tell the people that they were also noting how often the people had children in their car and how often, if they did have kids in their car, that they were either in seat belts or in child safety seats. And what they found was um, um, among the people that were drinking Rarely did they have kids in the car. Where right. if they had right. if they had a BAL that was showing positive, rarely did they have kids in the car. Um, whereas the ones that that showed positive for THC, they did fairly frequently have, have kids in the kids car. In the and a, a vast percentage of the time, the kids in the car were not in um, proper child um, restraining seats. Um, so they were really looking at judgment. When this more than you know basic re- reaction time and driving skills, they were looking at the judgment of the people when these chemicals are in their system. Well, and didn't it, did that article say that it was one in seven, one out of every seven, yes, drivers was impaired with with THC with children with in the their children car in their car in so, Washington State. In yes, Washington State. So this was voluntary. They had two thousand drivers that pulled over at the side of the road and volunteered. There was no legal action taken. There was uh, nothing recorded that was sent on for for further review, shall we say, other than the data collected. And again, the fact that there was marijuana in their system did not necessarily mean that they were impaired. Right. However, it also didn't necessarily mean that they weren't. And this is going to be a growing problem for law enforcement and for just general advisability in terms of safety for people, for drivers, and for parents. Well, and, and, and I think that there's a pretty 
pretty significant race to come up with a way to determine, you know, did this person smoke recently right. or is this just residual THC that's, that's caught in the fatty tissues or, you know, um, because I'm pretty certain that if, if you question some of these people, the ones that decided to say, yes, I'll do this. I'm pretty sure are the ones that probably hadn't smoked recently, so they thought they that they were okay. Yeah, certainly the volunteer effect had to have, have an impact. Yes, right. I think the other piece of it as well, though, um, to your point, David, was the fact that while they may not have been impaired driving, they may have had some impaired judgment in making choices not to properly restrain their children in car seats and seat belts and booster seats. That begins to make you wonder, are they having some impact, even though they themselves would report that they were not having impact? Well, and... and as you've talked about in other radio shows, um, when when marijuana covers, you know, the receptors, it changes your drive to do things. Correct. So a person that has marijuana in their system and is putting the kid in the car seat and thinks, ah, you know, they're too fine. much trouble. I'll, I'll, you know, they're fine. They, you know, nothing's going to happen. We're going to take a break now. When we come back, we're going to talk about is it true that marijuana will help prevent opioid deaths? Please stay tuned. And one more time, going to tell everybody about the program that we're running here at America's Web Radio. If you're a veteran and you've started a new business within the past 12 months or about to start a business, contact GM at America's Web Radio, and we will give you two weeks of national and actually international advertising for free. No strings attached. Well, there is one string. Tell your buddies about what we're doing as well. Just send us an email, gm at America's Web Radio, and we'll work out the details of advertising your new business. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Hi, this is Ron Camacho, host of the Business Hour on America's Web Radio. If you'd like to hear an eclectic mix of great programs from relationships with Dr. Ann Schiebert to homegrown veggies and from classic cars to the Constitution, we've got programs for discerning listeners at www.AmericasWebRadio.com. 
The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is Ron Camacho, host of the Business Hour, on Fridays from 10 to 11 a.m. Join me as I talk with passionate professionals on a program that profiles the best businesses, business practices, and fascinating business professionals to get an insider view of how America works. The Business Hour, from 10 to 11 a.m. on America's Web Radio. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back. This is Detailing Addiction. This is America's Web Radio. I'm Dr. Susan Blank, and with me is Michael Daly and David Donaldson from the Atlanta Healing Center. We've been talking about some interesting new news around marijuana, and... um, Stanford University Medical School just released a very interesting report on June 12th, uh, 2019. This uh, is in response to a report that was released in 2014. So in 2014, there was a study done where they looked at the states that had some form of medical marijuana legal in that state, and they looked at the rate of opioid overdose deaths. Right. When they looked at that, the data seemed to indicate that there were fewer deaths in those states than in states that did not have legalized marijuana or medical marijuana available. This was brought out, touted among many legislators mm-hmm. and, and even health care providers talking about this is the answer to the opioid epidemic. We need to legalize marijuana. We right. need medical marijuana available in all of the states. And I have to tell you, this had a big impact. I think it had Huge. an impact here in Georgia. It, I mean, if you really look at it, the the way that they market in air quotes the legalization of marijuana or the legalization of medical marijuana no matter which form it is they are masters at marketing it correct because there's there's people on both sides of the aisle that would never even talk about it before that are now touting it as the best thing in the world which sends a really horrible message to our young people and our older people. And our older people. Our geriatric population. As we're learning. As we're learning. (laughs) So this is is really interesting. So Stanford went back and took a look at this data, as well as current data up through 2017. 
And indeed, the data leading up to 2014 from California, which was the first state to introduce medical marijuana back in 1996, they followed um, statistics through 1996 up through 2014, and Stanford was able to replicate this data that said, yes, States that have medical marijuana at this point have less less opioid deaths. Now, then they went forward from 2014 to 2017 and found that, indeed, that was not true ongoing. Now we have 47 out of the 50 states that have some form of legislation around medical marijuana, recreational marijuana, or the legalization of CBD slash hemp products. Mm -hmm. So the vast, vast, vast majority of states in the United States have access at some level to marijuana. And what they're finding is there is no difference in states that do, in states that don't, in states that have recreational versus medical. There is no difference in the opioid overdose death rates. Now, to their point, they, they did point out that initially some of the states that did approve it um, earlier on were states that were wealthier states, were states that were more liberal, had greater access to addiction treatment, and to naloxone. Mm-hmm. It's only been recently, for example, here in Georgia, where we've actually had naloxone available at pharmacies for family members and people who have the disease of addiction as, as a rescue medication for an overdose death. So now that's much more ubiquitous. Um, naloxone is much more available. People are aware of it, know how to use it. But now what we're seeing is that there's no difference that marijuana is not going to be the, the answer the answer it's not the antidote for the opioid crisis well i think also that when they look from 17 to 19 they're going to have to factor in the fact that most of opioids at some point have fentanyl in them so when they look at the deaths, they're going to have to look at fentanyl deaths and opioid deaths because I think that there's there's a huge correlation between the rise in deaths. And to that point, Michael, I was just at a... Um at American Society of Interventional Pain Physicians conference last weekend, and we had uh, some folks there from the DEA and also some attorneys and other folks talking about the opioid crisis. Mm -hmm. One of the things that was brought up was the fact that we really probably are seeing much fewer prescription opioid deaths than are reported because most of the time the coroners that are declaring this a prescription drug opioid death are not able to distinguish whether or not this is the prescription fentanyl that you might find in a fentanyl patch 
or that someone had through anesthesia or were using as a, a lollipop as or a lollipop the prescription fentanyl and the vast majority of the folks that were probably using non-prescription illicit fentanyl. Right. So we're seeing a big shift there, but uh, this group from Stanford said, please do not think of marijuana as the solution. We have to find other solutions. Marijuana is not it. Right. So that I, I found to be really important because I've heard that 2014 study um, brought up, brought up several. time and time again <laughs> as a way to say, oh, we're going we're gonna to solve this opioid epidemic by, by the legalization and the um, medicalization of marijuana. The one thing that I think that has been a benefit of some of these states that are, are legalizing it is that we are finally getting some research on marijuana and, it, and its impacts. One of the earlier studies that came out that I thought was so interesting related to using marijuana for people um, who actually have diagnosed chronic pain and have been treated for chronic pain, the idea was that using the marijuana is going to decrease their need for chronic pain. And what they actually found was their need for chronic pain medications went up and their ability to self-report as to their pain level went down. So so it really was having a it different skews. impact than what they expected. There was also um, recently, not not in our initial stuff, but something I thought was really interesting and hopefully we can get for a future show. Cobb County, Georgia, has just started uh, a program. They're in the midst of starting it for um, another approach to addressing the, the, the opiate crisis. When somebody has an overdose and they have to use uh, naloxone, mm-hmm. they're, uh, they're starting an alert system where a police officer will go out and do a friendly visit and no arrest, no charges, talk to the person about you really nearly died and maybe you want to consider treatment. Um, so that seems like here in Georgia and, and locally they're beginning to look at we've got to change our approach and we've got to make – um, the relationships with with people who use drugs and with police are a little bit safer. Um, right. And also, they're learning that they can't just arrest the person, throw them in jail, and get them clean. Yeah, that doesn't it just work. Just doesn't work. Period. They have to have treatment. It will be very interesting to see how this goes. I'm hoping that it's done on a large enough scale that we can really get some statistically significant data Mm -hmm. because I think this could be a real model for a way to intervene. I know that a number of large hospitals uh, associated with Harvard Medical School and some of the other big universities in the Northeast are instituting excuse me instituting buprenorphine inductions in the emergency room Mm -hmm. so when somebody comes in they've been given an injection of naloxone guess what happens folks they get sick they get sick they are immediately put into acute withdrawal and when i say they get sick i'm being very polite yes (laughs) They are sick, they are really sick, and they are often not very happy. The option at that point that, unfortunately, some of these patients take is to leave the emergency room immediately and go use again, which greatly increases the chance that they're actually going to overdose and die because the naloxone will wear off 
sometimes in a very short period of time, and they go back into overdose. Right. So if they have enough... From the original overdose. From the original overdose. So if they add any opioids to it, they're really, really in peril. Mm -hmm. So these folks are offering at that point, when they're already in withdrawal, let us give you some buprenorphine. They take it. Now that helps them because... They are out of withdrawal. Uh, it will offload all the other opioids, the opioids that haven't been in their system. Receptored. And they will gradually increase their dose of buprenorphine, and then they connect them with a clinic that will see them the next day, continue the medication, and continue treatment. This is shown in a number of presentations at uh, the American Society of Addiction Medicine meeting back in April of 2019, shown to be very successful with a lot of people being engaged now into a recovery system as opposed to here's your naloxone, here's your naloxone, now you're out of um, overdose risk. Here's a card. Good luck to you. Right. Um, so this Cobb County approach, the approach that they're using in some of the major hospitals, is allowing uh, for people to actually potentially get into treatment mm-hmm. and have a more life-saving effect. We're going to take a break. When we come back, the FDA wants to know how safe is your CBD products. We want to know, too, so please stay tuned. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is Dr. Susan Blank, host of Detailing Addiction on America's Web Radio. Please join us at 4 p.m. on Tuesday afternoons. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. 
You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back. This is Detailing Addiction. I'm Dr. Susan Blank. This is America's Web Radio. Today with me I have David Donaldson and Michael Daly from the Atlanta Healing Center and we're talking about marijuana. Right before our break we were um, reporting on the FDA town hall meeting that they had last week asking about how safe is the CBD products. So let's back up just a minute and remind people that the active hallucinogenic psychoactive product um, property from marijuana is from THC. So THC is the psychoactive product. CBD or cannabinoid, cannabidiol, um, is allegedly and may very potentially have some therapeutic effects that are not psychoactive. There is one pure CBD product, which is actually a prescription drug, Epidiolex by GW Pharmaceuticals, that is FDA approved. Your doctor can write a prescription for it. We know what the dose is. We know all about the safety of it. We know drug-drug interactions. We know lots about it. And we're going to be able to now that it's available hopefully have more real studies on is CBD effective. Okay. Can I ask you a question? Yes. What is the cost of that? That medication is about $1,000 a month. Okay. Um, so it is certainly not um, for the faint of heart. It is certainly not something for um, someone to pay out of pocket for, but some of these CBD products and medical marijuana is also not inexpensive and not covered by insurance. The I would imagine, though, that that price is going to have to start changing. It will. With, with the amount of competition it now has. Well, and the interesting thing is, is right now the FDA has approved it for two very specific conditions, Dravet syndrome and Lennox-Gastau seizures. These are very serious sometimes even fatal seizure disorders of infants and small children. Mm -hmm. So that is the indication and the approval. But when the FDA is allowing it for children and infants, they they do hold a very high level of expectation in terms of the purity of the compound. Mm -hmm. Is it really helpful? Now, it's not eliminating these seizures. For some of the children, it's reducing them by up to 40% a day, which is significant. Uh, It's not curing them. And certainly most of these kids have to continue on other seizure medicines. But there has been this huge industry. And the state of Georgia, as of December of 2018, now allows the sale of hemp products Mm -hmm. in Georgia with the idea that hemp is going to have much less THC, much more CBD, with the exception of a very, very, very few. I only know of one company that actually does do a good job 
of looking at purity, looking at dose and other kinds of things. Every other CBD that you are going to buy or hemp product that you are going to buy will very likely have a significant amount of marijuana in it. And this has become a way that Bubba Joe's um, CBD um, shop is now able to sell marijuana. Right. So we need and, to be really clear about that. And if it's interesting when they were testing um, the oils, the CBD products, they were finding all kinds of contaminants. Correct. Um, many had higher levels of THC than, than what you would expect. But they also said, <laughs> I think it's kind of funny, that some CBD oils had zero CBD. Right. <clears throat> They're and being touted as CBD oil, but there's nothing there. There's nothing in there. And this was a study done by the Journal of the American Medical Association. Um, reports that two-thirds of the CBD products tested by researchers were mislabeled, that they may have more CBD than listed. They may not have any CBD. They have THC. There are good people, they said, and not so good people making CBD products, and there's no way for a consumer to know the difference. So the FDA has decided they need to now look into this. This has become a multi, multi-billion dollar industry, and because it is the wild, wild west out there, they've begun... Um, uh, to do some studying, and uh, to your point, uh, Michael, what they have found is that many of these products not only are mislabeled in terms of the amounts of medication, uh, in quotes, the CBD versus THC, um, that's contained in the product, but that there are also a significant amount of contaminants. Right. Pesticides, heavy metals. Bacterias. Fungus, other kinds of things like E. coli, salmonella. There is no no regulation around how these are manufactured, how they're stored, how they're distributed. There is nothing because they're considered a food supplement they are not regulated in any way until complaints began to arrive at the FDA, and then they will look at a particular product. But the FDA may be considering developing a commission to look at this and to begin to do some regulation. Well, when, uh, you, when you think about the times that we've had the DEA agents on, where they talk about going into a, you know, a, a production of some of the Artificial marijuana, uh, artificial, what do you, uh, spice. spice, that there will be cement mixers and products that they just add to this stuff at random. Right. These are not uh, controlled sterile manufacturing. These are not best practices, let's just say. Right. Well, and, you know, I think about the supplement industry in general because a lot of this is coming through and being touted as supplements, and the supplement industry in general is is pretty unregulated. Yes, it um, is. So a lot of times people will, will go in and they'll think they're buying um, – the the classic one was they think they're buying uh, CoQ10. 
and they'll get it'll get analyzed and they'll find out that it's simply um, orange vitamin juice. C right. vitamin C nothing in there that has anything related to CoQ10 and that's really pretty mild compared to what people are being told CBD oil can be effective for mm-hmm. so the CBD oil and the hemp oil um, there are if you're going to be purchasing these products, you need to be very, very careful. You need to ask questions. You need to ask about uh, purity. You need to ask about dosing, about testing that may have been done on the product. Especially for skin care products, you need to be very careful uh, about what you may be getting. Be very concerned about vaping. This is uh, a whole new way of consuming marijuana, CBD-related products, and so be very careful about that because um, you may really have some unexpected consequences. The Some of the additives, particularly the ones for flavoring for both the vape juice and the CBD oils, contain propylene glycol, which is a solvent and which is, a, uh, is used in some products that we can take in orally. When you heat it to a high temperature, it becomes formaldehyde. And so if you are vaping, you are now not vaping propylene glycol, which may have its own problems, but you are now vaping a um, formaldehyde-like product, which is, let's just say, not really good for you and shouldn't be coming into your lungs and your sinus passages. So make sure that you are buying wisely. And remember, it is very likely that um, these products will have some level of THC in them, which may interfere with drug testing, may affect your ability to get a new job, may affect your ability to continue a job, and may affect your ability to stay out of jail. So well, use and, with and, caution. And at the Atlanta Healing Center alone, I mean, we, we talk to people and, and they say, yeah, I oh, yeah, I've been using CBD oil or um, a CBD, you know, skin, whatever. And then all of a sudden they test positive for THC. Right. And they're shocked. They are. They're shocked. So we're getting close to to actually doing um, uh, broadcasting on Facebook Live and having people do comments that way. We've had a comment come in through another source where somebody was just mentioning that Probably a lot of people's pre-workout contains a lot of cement mixing <laughs> and other products. So we have some listeners out there I'm glad to hear and, and looking forward to your comments when we get to Facebook Live. And we will uh, look for your comments. Also, if you'd like to comment in between our broadcasts on our Facebook, um, the Atlanta Healing Center Facebook page. Please feel free to add your comments or your questions, and we'll be happy to try and address them on on the radio. If you have suggestions for shows or questions about specific things, we will be happy to try and answer those. And we will be happy to see all of you next week on Detailing Addiction. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.